Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It's September 28th, 2022, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC or get in touch with me via email jason at overthecap.com. Once again, I am joined by Nelly the Bunny, who once again has nothing to say, right, Nelly? Correct. Uh, Nelly had a treat before, so I'm sure Nelly's very happy and content to uh, not be doing too much for the rest of this evening um, with that. So, once again, we're doing one of these midweek podcasts, so we're having our tea instead of a uh, you know decent beer or two. Uh, though I am kind of low-carbing right now, so we're going to have to go to our low-carb uh, beers once we start doing the weekend podcasts again. Those uh, those types of beers are definitely never as much fun as the uh, you know the regular stuff. Um, but maybe we'll do that. Maybe I'll do a couple uh, low sugar mixed drinks or something. I don't know. We'll see. Um, you know, so let's just uh, we'll get into a couple things today. Uh, once again, we'll just look over some of the games from last week. See how teams are starting to stack up. So I have the games up from uh, last weekend, and. You know, I mean, I, I think a lot of the stuff was pretty much as expected, uh, with the exception of the Miami-Buffalo game. Uh, Miami came out. Miami played a terrific game. Now, Miami probably loses that game nine times out of ten, eight times out of ten. Certainly, the Bills ran a ton of plays. Uh, Bills just couldn't get points. The Dolphins did the the butt punt at the end of the game that gave the Bills a little bit more life and. Bills make a completion on the last play of the game, and he just he can't get out of bounds. Maybe spent a little too much time dancing, but they probably had to get to a certain spot so they could try a kick. Uh, so I'm sure that they were frustrated. Obviously, one of the coaches was pretty frustrated with it. And you saw how Buffalo just looked exhausted. Miami really took it to Josh Allen. Um, you know, they, they really battered him around. Uh, and they, they really went on the attack in that kind of game. Now, everyone right now is obviously on Miami uh, coming off of that win and the big comeback against Baltimore. I mean, th- those are two high-quality wins. And the Dolphins this year always had that boom-bust kind of look, right? They spent a lot of money in the offseason. And, you know, you bring in the new head coach. And this is one of the things that you love when you bring in a new head coach. Uh, a lot of times that first year, and that this is not – to say that this won't be success that has a a much longer lasting time just that you do get a lot of coaches where you get that first year honeymoon where teams just don't know how to react to you and you kind of do far better than anyone expected and I kind of think that Miami might be getting a little bit of that right now um, where you you kind of don't know You, you don't have any history at all with the coach so you, you don't have a lot to lean on. And even in the little bits that you do where you're kind of taking a look at, you know, what he did uh, before this, this is a totally different type of personnel, totally different team. But you, you see the quarterback's confidence kind of growing with the stuff that they're doing there. Now, one of the things that I'll say again um, when it comes to Miami, and you've got the new stuff that's there as well, Playing Miami in the heat is never an easy thing. The Dolphins had these years. Now, they didn't play like that. But the Dolphins would have these seasons where they would start off every year like 3-0, 4-0 because they'd play probably three games in Miami or at least two games in Miami early in the season. And they used to seem to have a big advantage. And then as the weather kind of uh, evened out, you would see them kind of fall back to earth. So you always just 
wonder how that stuff is going to be. But that was a really nice win for them. Uh, Baltimore, they they beat New England. Um, Lamar Jackson is playing terrific right now. Um, and there were some comments that were made by the head coach that some people, I think, took as a shot on the GM. I don't think it was that at all. I think it was just that uh, in this Lamar Jackson debate, uh, contract discussion, negotiation, a lot of the outside voices and a lot of the outside stuff where it's not coming from fans, but a lot of the outside stuff, remember, it's often agent driven and you don't have an agent here. So people are reaching for stuff. People are just looking for things to talk about, try to figure out why deals aren't done. And sometimes when you don't have somebody that's your champion in the media, <clears throat> you know, the, the way that... Um, the guys were for Dak Prescott when Dak Prescott was going through the franchise tag process. The fans, when it comes to the types of salaries that you talk about here, do have a tendency sometimes to turn on players, even very popular players. And I think what happened is because of that, you, you didn't have that defense mechanism coming from the the main, you know, the, the big media outlets that cover Lamar Jackson. And it would turn into, well, you know, is this kind of game sustainable? Is he a good enough passer? Do they value him because they don't think his running is going to last? You know, all these different things kind of come into play. And I think that's what he was saying. He's saying, you know, what more does this guy have to do to get you people to stop coming up with kind of these stories that are, you know, he's not a complete quarterback? So I, I think that's really what that was about. But he's playing terrific. Uh, they haven't really given him a lot of help in terms of weapons, but he's got a good connection with Andrews, and you know that that's a uh, that's a good start for them. Uh, the Bears beat the Texans. Texans are just pitiful. Uh, Bears, <coughs> I, I'm not sure if you look at the Bears much better. Um, you know, the Bears have played an incredibly easy schedule, I think, to start out the season. Good for them for being two and one. No one would have expected it. We were all thinking zero and three, but. You know, I, I would imagine that this is going to come back to earth, and I, I don't think that is going to keep up. Uh, Minnesota beats Detroit. Detroit blows a game. They make a bad decision. Coach comes out and says, I made a bad decision. So I, I think you like that. Uh, Detroit right now is an exciting kind of football team. They don't win. Um, I don't know if they're really going to start you know, winning a bunch of these games, but even dating back to last year, they've kind of got something going on offense. And, you know, they, they, they kind of remind me of some of these, um, you know, teams of the past that used to be able to, to put together these really good offensive performances, but their defense would just be so bad that you'd lose a whole bunch of shootout kind of games. Kind of get that vibe like that's going to be Detroit. Um, you know, you, you wonder if they can kind of keep up that same kind of approach, but with an upgraded quarterback at some point in the future... Uh, you know, maybe maybe it could be something there, but right now that that's a team that has to learn how to win, and they have to they, they have to learn definitely how to settle settle down the other side of the ball. Uh, Indianapolis, <laughs> they come up with a win against Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City, I didn't watch a lot of that game. I'm guessing it was a go through the motions game for Kansas City. Kansas City does that sometimes, especially early in the season. One of the things is when you do have some of these teams that are perennial playoff teams and kind of just expect themselves to be um, deep in the playoffs every year. I think sometimes they sleepwalk through some of these early games. Um, 
Now, obviously, Buffalo hasn't done that, but I think Buffalo is playing for something. You know, Buffalo hasn't been there yet. Kansas City's, at least, you know, Mahomes, he's been there. And I think Reed also kind of goes with this approach that there are certain games that are important and there's other games where you just want to run through your regular stuff. You're not showing anything fancy. You're not you're not doing the the desperation plays to uh, try to win a game. You just kind of hope that when you line up, you know, eleven on eleven, that you are able to come out with the win. And I, I think that's probably more what happened with Kansas City um, than anything else. You have the Raiders who drop a game to Tennessee. Uh, Raiders just pathetic right now um 0-3 one of the worst teams in the league they're terrible offensively they're terrible defensively it's a very poor reflection on the head coach who came from a bad you know kind of a bad place before you know he goes back to new england you know rehabs the image and everything over there and it's just kind of right back to square one where you you've just got this team that is just underperforming you know this is a team that spent a lot of money this year um Spent a money, a lot of money retaining certain players. They spent a lot of money uh, bringing in Devontae Adams, and you're just not seeing results right now. Uh, you know, the they need to find a way probably to be a bit more explosive with some of these guys. And I'm not talking about Mac Hollins, who um, you know was playing pretty well for them. You know, good for him. Uh, he's a good kid. But uh, you know they they've got to find a way to do that, and they defensively they have to find a way to close out some of these teams. I mean, Tennessee's been brutal, and you know to lose to them. I mean that's just a terrible game. Uh, Carolina beats the Saints, kind of a ho hum thing. Matt Rule had a funny quote today. Uh, it was like you know Baker Mayfield's feeling good, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was you know he's feeling good, and he he basically said. If his wide receivers can get separation and his offensive line gives him time, he thinks he can get him the ball. It's like, you know, he's got to find a way to do some other stuff. Like, I'm not saying that if you're under siege, you're going to make these uh, make these plays. But it can't be college where, you know, you're waiting for guys to just be that wide open. Um so I just thought that was funny. But, you know, he, they get a reprieve for a week by coming out with the win. New Orleans said it before the season. Said it in the offseason, the loss of Sean Payton was going to be the biggest loss for any team. He's able to hide so much stuff and, you know, do things offensively with subpar talent. And you're not going to get that now. It's just going to be an awful offense unless something dramatically changes. They have a quarterback who's hurt and he's not good. So those two things together, you know, that's not going to work very well. Uh, they don't really have much behind him. You've got this old football team. Uh, I think they only have nine guys on the team that were drafted in the last two years. It, it's just, you know, you're going to have to rely on defense. And, you know, you, you might be able to pull out a couple of these games when you're home and you, you play against teams that just have trouble scoring the football. But I, I think they're going to have problems on the road and you're probably going to have problems against teams with decent offenses. Um, just in terms of, you know, being able to hold them low enough to where you can be competitive with the offense that you're putting on the field. Philadelphia all over Washington. Philadelphia is off to a great start. Uh, they look, I think, like the most complete team in the NFL right now. Um, certainly in the NFC, but yeah, you, you 
just like with Miami, you wait and see. Um, Jacksonville, all over the Chargers. That was a game I did not expect to go like that at all. Trevor Lawrence looked great. Uh, you know, if you want some hope as a Jets fan, I'll talk about the Jets in a minute. Um, you know, watch Trevor Lawrence right now. You know, last year, there were throws that Lawrence made that were like high-quality pro throws. And now they, they've really tailored a lot more to his strengths, it seems like. Uh, you see a lot more of him, you know, kind of going out on a bootleg, you know, and making passes, rolling out. And you just see him doing more stuff. He just looks so much more comfortable. So you just hope, you know, if you're out there with Zach Wilson, um, you know, that the same thing happens. Obviously, it's not happening in Chicago with Justin Fields, where they are playing petrified of him. Uh, but, you know, hopefully it happens with Wilson. But uh, Jacksonville is looking great. Um, you know, head coach, obviously, that's a that's a big addition. Chargers all beat up. This looks like it's going to be one of those years. And given how much was invested into this season, if this thing ends up spiraling out of control, I'm not sure if the coach is going to survive it. Um, his fault? No. Well, when you get that beat up, sometimes you get that beat up. But 38-10, and you're playing your starters in this blowout game. Guys getting hurt. You know, you you risk making an injury to your star quarterback. Even worse, and um, you know, just he already has a lot of people that question him, and it's going to be tough if they end up not figuring out a way to right the ship. Atlanta beat Seattle 27-13. Atlanta's defense stinks. Offensively, they're they're playing somewhat okay. Uh, Seattle is what it is. They they have a bunch of money invested in receivers. They have a bunch of money invested in tight ends. Your quarterback's Geno Smith. You can only go so far um, when that's going to be your team. Your defense isn't really any good. So I I think this is going to be a long season for Seattle. Uh, Green Bay beats Tampa 14-12. Tampa definitely looks like a team that Brady at the moment is, and you know they're banged up as well with the receivers. I almost get the feeling like Brady, this is not Brady in at a hundred percent. This is Brady in at like eighty percent. Um, you know, and you see those struggles. And right now, they're going to have to get through this year, I think, on their defense, and maybe they will. Um, you know, Bulls is a really good defensive guy. So maybe they'll get by on their defense and then, you know, maybe Brady lights the switch uh, in the playoffs and it becomes more later in the season and maybe becomes more of an offensive team. But right right now, it's it's just a weird feel when you watch it. Uh, Green Bay, maybe not all that much different either. Um, now, I don't think this is Aaron Rodgers not being in all the way. I think this is Aaron Rodgers just not having guys to play with and kind of knowing it and you know he's just not comfortable in it yet and you know you you just kind of you know work through it uh rams beat arizona arizona gets no bump off their big comeback um you got to be pretty disappointed if you're a cardinals fan but when we talked about last week you had the three miracle games those miracle games mean nothing if you come back out and you play like you know you did all those weeks before and Arizona's been dreadful for 10, 11, 12 straight games now. And I won a couple of games in there, and, you know, they're just getting wiped out offensively. They're not clicking at all. 
Uh, Rams haven't really looked good either, but you know this was just not a good look. Denver beat San Francisco 11-10. to That's a sad game. Uh, I, I don't know what more to make of it than that. Um, Russell Wilson looks awful. Uh, maybe he took too many mental reps in the offseason uh, instead of real reps. There is no continuity in that offense at all. Uh, right now, that looks like an absolute disaster of a contract that they gave him. Um, they better hope that they, they figure something out because you're not going to be able to continue to play like this and compete when you go up against some of these better football teams. Um, you know, San Francisco is not that good of a football team. So, and San Francisco is not a bad team. San Francisco doesn't have the, the ability to be that explosive. Um, you know, you got Debo Samuel, who occasionally is going to make those plays probably more as a running back than in the passing game. Uh, I think Kittle slowed down a lot. Uh, I, I don't know if they're, they're ever going to get that level of Kittle again. Um, I don't know if he'll ever be healthy enough again to get that. Uh, finally, on Monday, you had the Cowboys with Cooper Rush beating the Giants. Um, you know, Kenny Galladay continues to be a mess. As I said before, it's a lot of money if you're going to cut him. They really can't do it on their salary cap right now. You just hope you can find a trade partner. The problem is he's got a $4.5 million guarantee next year. I think unless the Giants pick that up, I don't think teams would be willing to do it because that's going to make your investment in him, you know, basically $5 million for a season. Um, you know, even if the Giants picked up all his salary this year, let's say you, you take him in at the minimum and let's say he stinks, um, you know, you, you're still going to have to pay him that other four or five next year. So I think that is going to be something that, um, you know, kind of holds teams back from making this trade unless the Giants are willing to also pick that up. Uh, finally, we'll get to the Jets here. Um, you know, just like with Arizona, you, know, you, you get the miracle game and then you come back and it's right back to square one, just a complete no-show. Uh, now they lose their left tackle, who wasn't playing good in the first place, but, you know, you, you lose Fant. You feel bad for Fant. Um, you know, he was hoping to get a big extension from the Jets. Clearly, they didn't want to do it. Uh, probably right now it looks like the right call. Uh, he hasn't been playing well. He gets hurt. It's just, you know, it's a it's a sad thing for a player. You know, it, it kind of sucks. Um, but the the Jets, I don't know. You know, they're 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 not very good defensively. Um, they they did. You, you give it to the Jets in the second half. The the Jets defense did tighten up a little bit. Um, you know, they they can't generate any pressure. It, it's sad the, the what they have invested in pass rushers and they can't do it a thing um you know I, I know the coach was trying to say that they, they got a pretty decent amount of pressures I mean you're against an awful offensive line they weren't generating anything the defensive coordinator didn't seem to trust the guys to get there he's coming with all kinds of blitzes and you know that that's leaving guys open um you know again I, I think Gardner looked good uh, he had a, a really nice breakup on a uh, a play to Chase. Uh, I believe it was to Chase. It was a deep pass. Um, now, Gardner didn't get around. Maybe if he had turned around, he would have had a chance to pick it. But he did a great job getting right in his face, getting right between his arms, and not contacting him to get interference. Uh, the coach was looking for interference. It didn't look like anything remotely close to interference. It just looked like a terrific play, terrific body control. I think you got to be really happy with him. Uh, Garrett Wilson took a big hit, so he looked fine. 
uh, was not he was not playing a takeover game like he kind of did the week before. But you know he looked fine, and he clearly looks like a, a building block for the team. You get Wilson back this week, and you just hope um, you know that that he can inject some energy into the offense. Um, you know, it's they're going to have to give help to the tackle. Uh, however, they're going to do that, whether that's putting a tight end out there, whether that's leaving one of these backs in to block. Um, I don't know how much they trust their backs to block, but you know, you're, you're probably going to have to give some help. But Wilson obviously is far more athletic than Flacco, so I mean, he can move around. Um, you know, so he'll he'll be able to get out of the pocket a little bit. He'll be able to create some stuff. That's exactly what Joe Burrow was doing this week as well. So you, you just you want to see that chemistry with the receivers now. He hasn't played in quite some time, uh, so I think even if this game ends up not being great, um, I, I don't think you, you it, people are going to overreact. I'm probably going to overreact during the game if he if he goes out there and has a three interception game. We're all going to overreact. Once you you kind of pull back from it, I, I think you can give him one or two games. Um, you know, just to kind of get his feet wet again, and then you kind of go from there. And, you know, from this point forward, though, next week forward or whatever it might be, you know, this this is go time for the Jets. You know, if they, if they just continue to struggle on both sides of the football, it, it's just time to make changes for them. And you, you, the groundswell is already there. They, they've the the general manager and the coach have lost support. Yeah, the automatic defense mechanisms are gone. Now you can't blame Joe Douglas for all these left tackles being down. Um, you know they they misjudge things with Becton. Had bad timing with some of the stuff, but you know I, I don't think you can blame him for all these guys being down. Um, you know and not having <coughs> excuse me more options to go there um but you know the jets it's not like the jets were looking dominant there were going to look dominant because Dwayne brown was on the field um it's not like they were looking dominant with george fant on the field um you know the 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 team itself is just not good right now um so you wait to see if they can get that spark you know he's gonna have to be a miracle worker um, for them to, to kind of turn things around. Uh, but yeah, that, that was that was kind of how last week went down. Um, so now the thing I wanted to talk about this week is what I mentioned last week where we started looking at receiver efficiency, like the, the impact of, you know, building these big receiving rooms and what they would do. So I kind of did a little study on this. I started it last week and got into it more this week. So basically what I did was I went back uh, from 2015 to 2021 and looked at all these different teams, how much money was invested in the position relative to the salary cap um, in each of those years. And then what I wanted to do was going to Pro Football Focus, I was looking at the receiving grades for the teams, for each team, and I was looking at the EPA numbers for the passing game. Now, I didn't include running backs they do contribute somewhat. So, you know, the, you can take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. But for the most part, you're not paying your running backs to be a wide receiver. Um, you know, there, there might be a handful of guys that you do that with. Um, but, you know, I, I thought that some of the results were interesting. So, 
adjusted on a uh, 208.2 cap, um, which I know that's the number this year, but we're kind of adjusting the cap a little differently when I do this stuff, only because the NFL has clearly been paying based on the cap kind of going up as normal. Um, so I'm considering that the 2021 cap. So for the teams that were uh, under 25.9 million, e- each bucket has fif- like 56 teams, I think, in it. Uh, I just split the league into quartiles and just started ranking teams that way. So your, your bottom quarter was less than 25.9 million, you know, adjusted uh, for the salary cap. Uh, those teams basically did terrible. Your average EPA per play in the past game was uh, 0.0118, uh, 0.01188. Uh, PFF average receiving grade was 72.3. Um, you know, if you look a uh, little further in the numbers here, again, we're, we're looking at these receiving grades from Pro Football Focus. Only 10.7% of the teams uh, ended up with a grade above 79.7. 37.5% was below a 70. So that that's basically like replacement level, backup level players is what they had. When you, you look at the um, the numbers here, only 50% had a positive EPA. Um, only 18% had what would be considered like a high-level EPA. And 65% of the teams had a, you know, bottom quartile EPA, which is less than like 0.03, um, you know, points added per play. So that was how that worked out. Now, as you jump up, when you get to the 25.9 to 32.3 million, I'd consider this moderate spending. Your average performance jumped up 0.03868. Receiving grade went up to a 74.7. And only 23.2% of these teams had a, a grade below 70. And 25% of the teams were above 80 or above 79.7. And another 25% were between 75 and 80. So, you know, you're talking about pretty good overall results. You look at the EPA per play, 62.5% had a positive EPA. Um, Only 16% had that high level, so that was about the same as the under 25.9. But you only had about 45% that were in that bottom quartile of uh, performers when it came to EPA. Now you get into the higher level, so above average spending, 32.3 to 38.2 million. EPA per play jumps way up, 0.062. Our grade is up to a 75.5. Um, 32% of these players were above like an 80 grade. Uh, uh, sorry, not players, but overall teams. Uh, another 20% were between 75 and 78. Uh, the same 23% were at the bottom there. And when you get into this here, you had 68% of these teams had a positive EPA. Only 38% were in the bottom quartile. And you had 29% of these teams were performing in the the highest levels. And finally, and by high level, I, I don't think I mentioned it before, but an EPA, EPA per play of uh, about like 0.13 um, passing play. Uh, and then when you get to the highest levels, which is above 38.2, again, your numbers continue to rise. 0.07954 EPA per play, 76.4 is our receiving grade. Only 16% of these teams ended up with a team grade under 70. Uh, 32% were between 75 and 80, and 32% were above 80, above 79.7. So 
six almost sixty five percent of your teams are uh, were performing at a very high level, um, you know, an above average starter quality level when measured by you know the way Pro Football Focus does it. EPA per play, seventy three percent of these teams had a positive EPA. Thirty nine percent of the teams had that EPA that was going to be above point one three per play. And only 34% were in that bottom quartile. So, you know, I, I thought that this was actually pretty interesting. Like, I hadn't really looked at it this way before. And, you know, a lot of times when we talk about receiving rooms, and, you know, for the receivers here, I'm talking about tight ends, I'm talking about wide receivers, and we're talking about tight ends that would be considered receiving tight ends. So, you know, you had to be above a certain salary threshold or have at least X amount of targets in a year to qualify, you know, just to eliminate those guys who are getting $3 million and, you know, block and are probably targeted like 10 or 12 times a year. So that that's kind of eliminated from the equation. But I, I think one of the things that I, I could take away from this is that when you're building a wide receiver room, you know, I've talked all the time about building a cornerback room because the, the NFL can kind of dictate coverages and, you know, you, the offense can dictate coverages and you can take the best player away from it. You can scheme your offense to go away from like a great corner if, you know, the other guys are kind of weak link players and that you need to invest a lot in your corners. And I think maybe we should be saying the same thing when it comes to building your receiver rooms that you might want to be in a position where you do have your investment in a high-end receiver. You have your investment in a, a decent tight end. The, the tight end salaries don't span that much. So a lot of that probably, if I broke it down, would end up even, even though a lot of players are not exactly even. Um, you know, have a high draft pick at wide receiver. Have another free agent that you bring in. Maybe it's a short-term deal, like a, a one- or a two-year deal, you know, where he's going to earn $9 million, $10 million. And I think maybe the concept kind of goes the same. And you'd have to break these down more at an individual level. But I think the concept might be the same. Well, yeah, there are some receivers who are sure bets, you know, for a certain period of time. Um, you know, but I would say, while, while there were going to be some questions about A.J. Brown, maybe because of health, um, you know, or something like that. You'd probably look at A.J. Brown as, you know, probably a pretty sure bet for two seasons. You know, he's he's going to be a good player for two seasons, you know, and then you see where it goes from there. And, you know, you might have a rookie that you draft in the first round. You're like, okay, well, as a rookie, they're probably not going to be great. Maybe they can contribute. Then they're probably going to be good for another, you know, you might get pretty good performance out of them for the next two years. And, you know, then you make your extension decision and go from there. Um, you know, and then when you've got these Justin Jefferson types... You're just like, well, I can bank on this guy for the next six, seven years, right? You you can you, you just know that, you know, barring some catastrophic injury, um, you know, he's the type of player where, you know, you're going to play out the rookie deal and be great, and you're still going to have a couple of years where you're going to be great uh, after that. But I think sometimes what you're doing here, and, you know, you, you know it if you play fantasy football, especially if you play DFS, where a lot of times people chase last week's performance. And with receivers especially, traditionally that's a pretty bad thing to do. Um, you know, your receivers, I play a lot of FanDuel. You know, FanDuel, you know, if you're looking in some of these bigger games and you're looking for something where you get a 20-point 20 uh, 20 point game, 20-plus point game. 
the receivers doing back-to-back 20s is pretty limited. Um, you know, now may, maybe it's gone up a little um, for some of these, but, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, with the exception of like a Cooper Cup last year or something, the consistency usually isn't there week to week. Why? Well, again, the offense kind of spreads things around and, you know, one week it's this guy, the next week it's someone else, the next week it's someone else. And, you know, it kind of cycles around a little bit. You, you don't have as many of those alpha receivers that, you know, dominate week in and week out the way maybe Terrell Owens and Randy Moss did a generation ago. Um, but I, I think what you're doing is when you do build out that wide receiver room, you're kind of protecting yourself a little bit, right? Like if you look at a team like the Giants and now the Giants do have a little bit of investments in a couple of spots, but, you know, the Giants have a lot of the money is just tied up in Galladay. And that, that's been a disaster. Um, but, you know, if, if you have some other options, now for them, it just, nothing has gone right. You know, Shepard, off injury, back injured. Feel terrible for him. Tony can never get on the field. You know, first round draft pick, injured. Um, you've got Galladay, you know, just can't get on the field. Just no good. Um, you know, but... It's like you you take the approach where you're putting all your eggs in one basket, which is very different than Miami, right? Miami's got, even though they don't use them that much, you've got the $10 million tight end. Um, you, you've got Tyreek Hill at 25 or you know 30 on a piece of paper. Uh, you've got your first round picks that you have in there. So, you know, who obviously earned some money, you know, even though it's not what they're necessarily worth on the field. But you, you've got this... The, the salaries are spread out and you've got a wide receiver room where in theory, you know, a guy can have a bad game and you can still get maybe a dominant game out of one of these other guys. Not just like a surprise game, like something that you could probably count on. You know, if you looked at it, Cincinnati's kind of built that way, even though Cincinnati doesn't have the monetary investment as much in it uh, because they're, they're one of the few teams that's exceptionally young. Um, so I, I think maybe this is something we should be looking a little bit more at when you're building these wide receiver rooms that, kind of like with the corners, if you go heavy on one, you've got to be heavy, somewhat heavy, um, you know, beneath him. It, it can't just be a guy, um, you know, that does it. You, you need to have these other options who are good or potentially good, you know, those first and high second round picks. Now, they're not going to reflect as much in the the salary outcomes. They they will to some extent because, you know, if if you are spending those draft picks, um, you know, even the second rounders, if you're doing that, eventually it'll it'll probably add up. Um, you know, to where those numbers get up there and more likely if you than not, if you're a team that's drafting in the second round, you've probably also, you know, signed a free agent or two. Um, but yeah, I, I think that might be something that we should be looking more at is building receiver rooms. And I, I think, and you know, th- this is probably, I don't know, maybe we'll do something with this a little bit more. Uh, I think you see a lot of teams that like to spend on the offensive line. You, know, you get a high-priced left tackle, you get a high-priced right tackle, you get a high-priced guard, and then you, you skimp on center and maybe skimp on the other guard position. I think I'd be interested to see how those performances match up. 
you know, how, how, how much do they go um, based kind of on these salary levels? Again, on average, none of these are linear relationships in any way, shape or form on a, you know, individual level or even a team by team basis. You know, you have different factors, obviously, that come into play. And a lot of this is, um, you know, quarterback dependent as well. But it'd be interesting to see if maybe, um, you know, putting the resources in some of the spots that teams do is maybe wasted if where they're skimping on resources maybe comes out of this group of players. Um, now, for those curious about it, and I, I have this on the site if you, you just want to read it over, um, the teams that did spend a lot of money and ended up with crappy performances, uh, you know, I, I think there's something that you can see here. What did you have? Um so you had a bunch of uh, rookie seasons here. So you had uh, young players, you know, who maybe weren't that good. You know, Trubisky is one of them. Uh, Joe Burrow uh, as a rookie. You know, he only played, I think, 10 games that year. And, you know, it's a rookie year. Trevor Simeon, uh, Baker Mayfield, Blake Bortles. And you had two Daniel Jones seasons. So, you know, that's pretty bad. You had a lot of teams that had injuries at quarterback, right? So Jacoby Brissett instead of Andrew Luck. Uh, I don't even remember who started in 2015 for the Cowboys. It might have been Brandon Whedon or maybe it was Matt Castle, you know, something like that. Uh, you had the Bears when Jay Cutler went down, starting Matt Barkley and Brian Hoyer. Packers when Aaron Rodgers goes down, you got Brett Hundley. Um, you have TJ Yates in, in Houston. Uh, you had older players. No, you just had fall apart kind of guys. You had Peyton Manning, which I spelled wrong. Some... That must have been a weird autocorrect. Uh, you had Peyton Manning. You had Carson Wentz, Jared Goff. Uh, you know, in the Wentz and Goff years when the teams gave up on them. You know, you had the Rams were more confident. And uh, who is that undrafted guy they had out there, I think, in the playoffs? Um, and then you just had Eli Manning at the end and Andy Dalton at the end. So you can look for the reasons in it. And I think what you, you see here is if your quarterback play is just going to be terrible. Right, so we're talking about young quarterbacks that you're just not going to salvage, you know, or rookie. You know, rookie you can salvage, but you know, there's only so much they can do. Um, but I think if you just look at bad quarterback play, if you have really crappy quarterbacks, uh, whether it's because of injury, whether it's because of the way that you built your team, those are probably the teams that don't need to spend the money, don't need to waste the money on. You know, building up a receiver room uh, because it's just going to be wasted money. You know, at that point, develop and build something else. Um, you know, you, you're not gonna you're not gonna save Mitch Trubisky because you bought forty five million dollars in receivers in free agency. You know, there's just nothing you can do with him. Um, you know, the the two years where you had decent quarterback play and they had expensive receivers. And it still didn't pan out. It was the 2017 Cowboys and last year's Dolphins. And, you know, the, the Dallas year was the one where they basically decided that um, Des Bryant was done as a player. And so I, I think that was probably an example of holding on to a receiver too long. Um, and they, they didn't have a choice. I mean, the, the contract was going to dictate it. But he was probably a year past where he should have been. And you also had Jason Witten. 
he left the following year to go on television, but he clearly wasn't the same player either. And, you know, that, that just kind of wiped him out. So, you know, one of the things that I mentioned for this year is that the spending is way up this year. Um, you know, even if you adjust it for even a, a bigger bump expected in the cap, unless it's a way high bump, this year is going to be like outlier year when it comes to high spending. There's no moderate spending. It teams that went cheap and you had a, a lot of teams that have gone really expensive. So you, your big expensive teams this year, the Raiders, Patriots, Buccaneers, Dolphins, Rams, Seahawks, Commanders, Chargers, Cardinals, um, tier below that, but still would be considered a high level spending is 49ers, Panthers, Jaguars, Eagles, Saints, Bills, Jets, and Browns. Uh, you know, and then you've got your your couple of cheap teams, which are the Bears, Colts, Packers, Falcons, Bengals, Vikings, Texans, Lions, and Ravens. Uh, the other thing that I think I looked at here, where we talk about some of these teams, the only teams that were successful that basically skimped on the on the wide receiving group, for the most part, were teams with ultra high level quarterbacks. It was a ton of seasons of Drew Brees. You know, you've got Drew Brees, you've got Sean Payton is the coach, and you know you had Michael Thomas coming on as a rookie, where they just, you know, on that rookie contract, where they just didn't have anyone else really there of note, um, you know, that they were spending on. You know, the, those are the kind of teams. You know, Aaron Rodgers with the Packers at times. Uh, you know, you, you don't have those big investments, but the quarterback makes up for it. Um, you know, a couple years, a couple things where I'd say it was kind of system oriented, you know, Alex Smith with the Chiefs, um, Jimmy Garoppolo in the 49ers, you know, the, these are really good offensive coordinators and, you know, they're able to get the most, um, the most out of maybe what's on paper, not the, the best group of talent. And, you know, they're able to, to kind of overcome some of those shortcomings for the rest of the teams in the league. You know, you need to have capable quarterback play and you've got to try and enhance that, I think probably with, you know, as much as you can, uh, you know, maybe for as much as, you know, I'll, I'll rip that Christian Kirk contract and obviously he's played okay. Maybe when you look at where they're at and when you look at what they're trying to do, maybe that's the right thing, even though you're overpaying for Christian Kirk. It was one of the few guys that's available. Maybe you didn't want to fight over it because maybe you were afraid of losing him. But maybe that the impact is worthwhile because if they don't have him, you know, maybe that significantly drops the ceiling for Trevor Lawrence. You know, if they don't have him or another receiver like him, but there weren't a lot of receivers out there this year. You know, in free agency, there were a lot available in trade, um, you know, but in free agency. So... I just think it's something that maybe we should do a little bit more work on and do a little bit more here. But I think when, when you see some of these teams right now, you know, the credit is going to go to Tyreek Hill. But maybe the real credit should be going to the way that that whole team is built. Now, maybe maybe, maybe the end of the season it will look very different. Maybe Tyreek Hill is just going to dominate everything for the team and you're going to go, all right, well, no, you're wrong. It was just all Tyreek Hill. But... You know, I, I think these teams that are doing it, I, I, I think they're probably onto a little something here. Um, you know, that you're insulating yourself from the negative, and you're, you're hoping to accentuate the positives in decent quarterbacks. Uh, you know, versus 
the those teams that maybe do have those elite quarterbacks and don't need the highest of level talent to you know reach those upper levels. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely something that uh, probably should do a little bit more on. Uh, let's get into questions. I don't think I had too many here. Um, let me take a look. I know I had, I think it was just one email question. Let me just pull that up first. This is from Matt. Uh, I'm curious if the smoothing the league did with the cap in 2020 due to COVID, so the cap didn't shrink, is all paid back now, or what's the status? So I don't know for certain um, on that. My assumption, and this is just a, a minor, minor assumption uh, that's based basically on Green Bay's annual report. My guess is they have a couple million dollars they still have to pay back from COVID. You know, it's based on Green Bay's annual report and a couple other things where people talked about what they believe the cap would be. Uh, I think in the sheets that I keep, I, I think in my mind, there's still probably about $5 million that's left. Um, the other thing is that the NFLPA, in order to also smooth the cap, um, basically deferred a lot of benefits to 2023. So I believe the way that that works is the bill on those benefits comes due in 2023. So the benefit side of the equation is also going to pull the cap down more uh, because those were deferrals made by the player side. And I, I believe that'll impact the cap as well. So I don't think it's all paid back yet. I don't know for certain. Uh, but 2023 should be the the end of any impact on COVID. Uh, and then 2024, you'll get all the new TV deals that should kick and all the COVID stuff is gone. So I'm still of the mindset that 2024 is going to be a big spike, um, you know, or a pretty big spike. And then everything will level out from that point forward. But uh, I I'm still don't think next year it's going to be this massive jump. And if you look at the way teams have structured all their current contracts, teams certainly seem to believe that too. The money, they're not dumping money from 22 to 23. They're dumping money from 23 uh, from 22 to 24, 23 to 24. So everyone in the league seems to be, or not everyone, most of the teams seem to be banking on 2024 to be the year where you see the cap stuff go. It's different than 21. In 21, the teams were just pushing to 22 because they knew the cap was going to go up in 22. Um, they'd already kind of gotten guidance as to where it could be, and you kind of had a feeling that's where it would end up being. So, you know, the uh, the, the league was, you know, the teams were kind of prepared for that. So I, I, I kind of follow the market when it comes to that as well, to where it sure to me looks like teams are saying 2024 is the, uh, the year. All right, let's see. Uh, I don't think I got too many on this, so we should be pretty quick here. All right, Wade. Uh, please talk briefly about Aaron Rodgers' contract and what your gut tells you it means about Rodgers and the Packers' future. Uh, I think unless he decides he wants to retire, um, I think his contract tells me that he will be with the Green Bay Packers next year. Um, I don't think he'll push for a trade. They can trade him. Uh, it's not as if the, the contract is not tradable. So let, let me just pull him up. And let me see if I put the numbers in the right spot here. Nah, I probably don't. No. So, okay. So his option bonus 
Let me pull up my back end stuff. His option bonus is guaranteed, um, but it's not due. Uh, let me see if I have the date on it. So he has a $58 million option bonus. I don't know. I don't have a note of the date, but you know, I'm sure it's like fifth day of the league year when it's um, you know earned or something like that. So they should have time to trade him. Um, you know, it would leave them with uh, let's see, he had a 40.8 million dollar signing bonus. You know, it would leave him with 32 million dead. Um, you know, if they traded him, there's probably some leftover money from the other contracts. So it's probably more than that. Uh, Let's see, it's 32 plus another set. It would leave him with about 40 million dead, um, you know, if he really wanted to push on the trade. I don't see it. Uh, I, I think this is, um, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I look at this contract and I, I don't have that same feeling of a trade that a lot of people did. I, I kind of feel like he's past that point and it would be retirement or just coming back. I, I don't think I, I don't think that the relationship is gonna break apart again to where he's just like, I just wanna get traded. I, I don't see that. Um so I, I think that's where it'll be for him. And I think the Packers, you know, it's just how much can you build around an older quarterback and, you know, with their cap troubles, you know, how how do you how do you get guys, you know, in here um, you know, that can kind of play along. His cap number is as low as it can get next year. You know, his cap number is uh, 31.6 next year. That's as low as it can get. So you're not getting any cap relief out of that. So, you know, they're, they're going to have issues when it comes to that. Uh, Jason asks, when does the NFLPA in your website update uh, not likely to be earned per game bonuses? For example, Zadarius Smith with the Vikings. Um, the PA probably does it weekly. Uh, I occasionally do it weekly. <laughs> it, uh, it depends on how much time I have, you know, it, with the exception of a couple of guys that have these big per game bonuses at Smith being one that you mentioned there, it doesn't really impact the, the bottom line that much. So if I get around to it, I get around to it. A lot of times I won't do it until the end of the year. Sometimes I won't bother with it at all. It's just, it's not that important in the grand scheme of things. You know, if a guy doesn't earn... $15,000, um, you know, on a $30 million contract, it's not the biggest deal in the world. Um, so, you know, it's not that, that important. Now in Zadarius Smith's case, the Vikings actually used a, um, used a mechanism that would prevent it from accruing each week, or at least it should, unless I misunderstood what they did. So in Smith's case, it will all accrue at the end of the season and it'll it'll accrue as an adjustment onto the 2023 cap, a negative adjustment versus actually bringing their 2022 cap space down. Um, so I, I believe that's how that works. Uh, shoes, what would contracts look like for... Um, all right, so a bunch of tackles here. Um, you know, I, I think all these guys, Andrew Thomas included, um, you know, even when you're, you're looking at right tackles, you know, your right tackles are at 19. You just saw guard get to 20. So, I mean, all these guys are probably looking at contracts around $20 million a year, you know, maybe more. Um, 
you know, d- depending on what they decide to do. But, you know, I, I, I think, um, you know, pretty much all these players are, are looking at big bank if they, they continue to, uh, you know, to play, to play well enough. Um, you know, while, yeah, there's been some inconsistency, um, you know, for, for some of the players, these are positions where inconsistency is often overlooked. And even then, you know, even if you just, you don't show those flashes of 70% greatness, and let's say it's 50-50, you know, where you're passable, you're still looking at 18 million a year at a left tackle position, you know, 17, 18 million a year. Um, so, yeah, you know, all those guys are looking at big money. Uh, Captain Buccaneer, is there a way to spend money on this year's cap to give yourself more cap space next year? Uh, teams don't do that anymore because of the carryover rules. So um, the only way to do it, and the most proactive teams, Dallas has done this, Philadelphia has done it. Um, if you were really looking to maximize your cap room for next year, really what you wanted to do was restructure a whole bunch of contracts before this season even began. Um, even though you, you would kind of look at it and go, why are we creating all this cap room? We're not making any moves. It gives you the ability to restructure in 2022, increase your carryover to 2023, restructure those same players' contracts in 2023. So it's almost like you're getting a double benefit versus just the benefit of restructuring in 2023. So really, it's only Philadelphia and Dallas that have done that. I mean, I guess technically Cleveland did that this year too. I don't know if that if Cleveland's was by design or that was just how they did it. Um, you know, th- those would be the teams. I think San Francisco's, uh, unless they have a grievance or something coming up, I think San Francisco, who just redid Williams' contract this year um, to pick up an extra five or so in cap room, five, four, five, I think. Um, I believe that was simply done because I think San Francisco figured that Garoppolo was not going to earn most of his incentives this year that they probably figured it would be at least half of the season before they would give up on Lance. And instead you had Garoppolo in, in week one. So all that money that they thought they were going to get as an adjustment next year, you know, $5 million or so is out the window now. So I, I think that I, I think that this was done to just simply say, all right, now we increase our cap carry over by 5.5. That's going to offset um, what he's probably going to earn now that we didn't think he was going to earn before. So I, I think that was the, the reason for that. But that's the way that you can do it. You're not doing the stuff with incentives and all those things to just carry over cap room. Um, that's not something done anymore. Uh, Jason, what does it take for Joe Douglas to keep or lose his job? If the Jets eat the dead cap on some of their bad free agents in 23, how would you uh, rate the cap position? Made sense for JD to spend and support Zach, but his guys are pretty bad. Um, so I think for Joe Douglas to lose the job, they probably have to be under six wins. Um, I think if they're under six, I think then, unless Wilson would look fantastic, you know, end of the season. So let's say Wilson looks really bad now. And they lose all their games. And let's say the Jets win uh, four games at the end of the season, you know, to get to five. Uh, or maybe even five wins to get to six, you know, and I think that puts you borderline. And Wilson looks great in those games. 
I think that salvages his job, even though they, they ended up um, under that number. But, you know, if Wilson strings together a couple of games here and there where he looks okay, you know, like he did last year, and then the rest of the time he he looks bad, uh, you know, if, if you finish that low, it, I think it's going to be tough um, to keep the job. Uh, now, the Jets, a lot of times, are pretty slow-moving on this stuff. But I think it might be difficult for him um, to do that. Uh, their cap room next year, let's see where I have them right now. They're probably right up on the cap limit. Uh, so their effective cap next year, I have it 5-5. Five, five. Um, I, I put all the estimated carryover in for 2023. So 2023 salary cap numbers on OTC do reflect that now. Uh, but as I look at 2023 for them, um, you know, let's say they cut Carl Lawson. That looks like a given. Corey Davis, let's get rid of him. Um, I think you'd probably do something with Mosley, but just for the heck of it, I'll put in you cut him. Um... Back then, it's going to be the same whether you cut or not. You know, that would bring them up to 48. You'd lose 10. So about 38 effective cap room. They're going to be middle of the league. So I, I think if they, they purge from some of these players, um, you know, really the, the ones who they brought in two years ago, uh, if they purge from those players... Um, you know, they'll be kind of middle of the road. Uh, Barrios, you could probably get rid of. Um, yeah, they, and they'll be they'll they'll be probably in the you know upper middle tier or the lower half, maybe of the top third. Once they they get rid of those guys, um, you know, and then they they have to decide, you know, what route do you want to go to continue to rebuild? Um, you know, so again, all this stuff. Oh, the Jets are a young team. They're not. They're not an old team. They're not a young team. You know, the, the the Jets are not like top five, top six, top seven in you know players um, who have been on the, the been in the league for only two years. Jets have a lot of guys who have been in the league for three, four, five plus years. You know, the, these are the years where you expect results. You know, if a player players shouldn't be making young player mistakes in their third year in the league. You know, if you're making young player mistakes and you're waiting for a guy to develop, you're going to be disappointed. You know, 90% of the time, that player is not going to develop in anything better. So, you know, they're, they're going to have to decide um, how they want to handle that. But I, I don't think that their their position is going to be bad. Their position would be bad if the Jets finish the year eight and nine, and they just say, "Well, let's run it back." Um, you know that that would probably be a negative uh, for them with everything. But you know, I I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's terrible. Um, Joey, best and worst positions to spend money on, my opinion. Uh, so I think by far the worst position that you can spend money on is a punter. Uh, but since I, I'm assuming that you're not talking about, uh, those special team players, um, I would say 
I think a fullback is a complete waste. Uh, I think a running back spending up on a running back is probably a complete waste. Um, I think off-ball linebacker, probably not worth paying. And I think you can get adequate play out of centers on the cheap. And it's a weird thing for me to say because, you know, as the as a Jets fan, you know, we got spoiled for years with great centers with, you know, Kevin Mawai and Nick Mangold. Um, but, you know, I see so many teams who cheap out at that position and they get by uh, without too much issue. So, I mean, I, I think that's the... Those are the worst. Um, you know, I think that the positions that are important, and again, it's it's difficult because you got to find the players. But you know, cornerback I think is a really important position to spend on. And um, you know, I say that knowing that there's a lot of free agents available, so I think that's a good free agent position. Uh, wide receiver, you know, as I kind of discussed before, um, not as much available in free agency, but I think it's a position where if you, you just look at spending in terms of, let's say, draft capital, um, you know, you bring in some draft picks, you augment those draft picks with those veterans who are available or maybe occasionally making a trade um, for one of these splash players, uh, you know, that's probably a good thing to do. Um, you know, I, I think those are those are important positions that you want to spend on. And obviously quarterback, but, you know, that's just... That kind of is what it is. You find a guy, you don't find a guy. Uh, I think this is the last question. Dave here. 20 games into his career, you make a strong argument. Michael Parsons, best defender in the league based on stats, eye test, advanced metrics. Eagles fan, and will admit it. Can you react uh, forward to what an extension will look like? Um, it's going to be huge. So, you know, th- this is... Right now, your highest paid player is Aaron Donald at 31-7. Um, your highest paid edge is TJ Watt at 28 but I think Aaron Donald becomes your benchmark. Now, teams are going to argue all kinds of different stuff with the Donald deal. And you're going to have other deals that come in, um, you know, as well, especially like a Nick Bosa or something like that. So, you know, I, there's going to be other stuff that happens before, um, you know, he gets signed. But I think what I would be looking at here is I would probably look at like, for example, Miles Garrett, um, you know, his jump was about 1.5 a year over Khalil Mack. Joey Bosa was a $2 million a year jump from Miles Garrett. Uh, Khalil Mack at 23 was a probably a $4 million jump. Uh I think I think Von Miller was at like 19 or 19.5. Um, so maybe a 4 million jump. So I, I'd be looking at those players and I'd be looking at those numbers. And so if I, if I can definitely use Aaron Donald as a benchmark, uh, I think my target number would be 36 a year. Um, and I think my fallback number would be like 33.5. Like, I, I think anything under that, I, I don't think you'd go for it. Now, if really that the the strong arguments are made that the Aaron Donald deal doesn't count, um, I really don't believe that's the case. But, you know, and I, I'm working on edge deals. Uh, you know, then at that point, I'm probably looking at TJ Watt at 28. And, you know, the number will be higher by then. Let, let's say the number gets to 29. 
Uh, I am probably starting out at like 34, but I don't think I'd drop much below like 32. I, I think I, I would not give a lot of wiggle room. I think if you, you wanted to give a fair, reasonable offer, you'd start with a, like a 34, but I, I would make that very close to really what I was willing to, uh, you know, drop to. Um, yeah, I think that's the case. So, uh, let's see, what is this? Oh, I don't know. Got a bunch of tweets, but I don't believe any of this stuff is questions. I think some of this is on, uh, amount of money on IR that I put out there and just some, uh, some other stuff. So hopefully I didn't miss anything. Um, so, all right. So I think that'll do it for me and Nelly. Nelly, you have anything? No, you're just eating some hay, I guess. I don't know what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, that'll do it for me. So hopefully I'll be back maybe over the weekend. Um, you know, but if not, uh, hopefully sometime next week and, uh, you know, we'll see what we talk about. Maybe I'll look a little into the offensive line production. Now I'm just kind of curious about that. I, I don't know if I'll get a chance to, uh, you know, really go through the whole thing and probably for offensive line production, I'm going to have to take out, I don't, I don't know if I should take out guys with, uh, certain snap levels or not. I don't know. I'll have to see how I uh, how I do that. But maybe, maybe I'll start to take a look at that, see if we can start to get a uh, little bit more robust picture of the offense and the uh, impact of uh, spending on ultimate outcome kind of stuff. So anyway, thanks for listening, and I will talk to you all again soon.